0: You are listening to the Sate podcast. This session on the future of exams was recorded on Thursday the 29th of October 2020. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to tonight's Sate debate on the exam system in Scotland. Um, we have a fantastic show for you tonight where a panel of uh, talking heads are going to debate um, whether we need to keep the current exam system and um, change it fundamentally or chuck it entirely and move to something else. So we're going to be talking about qualifications, um, the recent sort of debacle over exams from the SQA and what the future looks like. Um, we have no more insights into exactly what you're meant to be doing with your students but we are going to talk about what you think we think you should be doing. Okay, really quickly to run through everything today. Um, this is actually a rescheduled event. I have to apologise to everyone who's watching. Um, I was involved in a in a, a serious mountain rescue emergency last week. And um, as I was taking off in a helicopter, I managed to send a tweet or two out to say I wouldn't be there and it was cancelled. But I apologise if you didn't get that message. And we're expecting to see us last Thursday. Um, Really quickly, um, SATE is the Scottish Association for the Teaching of English. Uh, we're part of NATE, which is a UK-wide organization, the National Association for the Teaching of English. And um, this is being broadcast on various platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. But please, if you're on any of those, subscribe to the SATE channel. That'll give you the best way to keep um, up to date with when our sessions are being broadcast. Uh, Quickly, um, our panel today, um, the first person on our panel is James McKerney. Uh, he's a former secondary school teacher who now lectures in further education and, and teaches a range of qualifications, including higher and national five. Uh, you may know him better from his sort of public facing work as a journalist specialising in Scottish education and freedom of information in general. Our next panelist is Isabel Boyd. Um, Isabel Boyd has had a long and varied career in Scottish education, starting up as a class teacher and ending up as a senior education leader um, in the local authority. Um, She's established core at core and is a founder member of Exam Scott, as is James, um, who we just spoke about. Um, Well, great. It's great to have Isabel along today. Um, We also have Harold Raitt, another member of um, the Exam Scott program, which we'll discuss later on. He's a producer, um, a writer and a filmmaker. Um, He's been involved in different types of schools and different types of organizations, including the National Theatre, and has created educational resources on various different texts. Um, He currently works as a copywriter designer and digital marketer um, and is also instrumental in Exam Scott. Um, Sammy McHugh is a PT of English. Um, She has been a teacher for over 20 years and is interested in literacy across learning and empowerment through education and CPD. She's a co-founder and one of the hosts of um, the excellent Twitter account um, at English Scotland, um, which is a platform for English and primary teachers to chat and talk about CPD in English and literacy. And a last minute replacement. Um, hopefully he won't embarrass himself. Um, Raymond Saltersek has been an educator for four decades um, as an instructor, an English teacher, a principal teacher, assistant head, and also a lecturer in ITE, in initial teacher education. Um, he is also the coordinator of SAIT. um That's that program you're watching right now um, and is involved in developing the work of Nate in Scotland. Um, next, quickly, um, we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about today. So a few things have happened quite recently. So the Priestly Review was a review into the um, exams in 2020, and it made recommendations to the Scottish government, which have mostly been accepted. Um, I'm sure we were all watching on Tenterhooks as Swinney made an announcement on the 2021 exams, cancelling again for a second year running the National Five exams, but keeping apparently. Hopefully, uh, the higher exams in 2021. Um, And we were hoping by now we would have some more detail in the SQA plans for 2021. I'm sure it is a matter of some controversy that we haven't seen those yet. Um, We're hoping today to sort of break ourselves up into two sections one on analysis of what exams are in the present, and a little bit of advocacy, I'm sure, from many of our uh, guests today on what the future of exams should be. So, with all that much ado about nothing. Um, I'm going to bring in each of our speakers and add them to the stream. So welcome to Raymond. Hi, Raymond. How, how are you, you? doing?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm
0: fine. Fantastic. James, ha- nice to see you. No, you Not too bad. Isabel, how are you? Good, good evening. Fantastic. Um, Harold, you're next.
2: Good evening from Kelso.
0: See you. How are you? Hi. I'm well. Um, And just to introduce myself, my name's Tom Coles. Um, I am going to be your host tonight. I'm going to try and avoid getting too stuck in. Um, Just quickly, uh, we are aiming to have a question and answer session at quarter past seven tonight. Someone there's got an echo. If they could try and get rid of it, that'd be great. Um, We'll have a question and answer session. But please ask any questions you have as we go along and we'll try and address them as we go along. Um, and please make sure to follow us on Twitter at SateFeed. Um, I'll put the hashtag up in a second but it is the hashtag Sate Debate. Okay so let's get rid of this and bring us all back in. Um, we are getting started today and I'd really like to start up on this question, uh, the first question of what do exam and qualification systems do? Um, What do they do to teachers? What do they do to young people? How do they make you feel? Um, How do they affect the environment um, in a classroom? Um, I suppose we go for um, Sammy as the kind of representative of classroom teachers. What do you think exam systems do and qualification systems do?
3: I mean, I know they're supposed to be the gold standard and they're supposed to be the chance for pupils to evidence all the learning. Um, but increasingly I think they've become really really stressful and I think they've become a measure of a test of memory um, and also in some respects a test of privilege um, because a lot of pupils I think are increasingly becoming marginalised in the way we prepare for exams that's that's pretty much how I see it at the moment.
0: Yeah I'm going to switch over to James James what do you think um, exam systems do or do you want to respond to Sammy? Um, particularly the way it is just now, the
4: exam system um, damages the education that we're able to provide to our students by restricting what we can do and forcing us into coaching uh, towards an exam instead of teaching. And fundamentally, I suppose the exam system as it is allows us to lie to ourselves that we have this... um nice kind of equitable system where everything's equal and everyone sits the same exam under the same conditions and all that. It's all lies, it's all nonsense, um, but it's, it's apparently an important lie that we are very keen to hold on
0: to. It's all lies, an important lie. Harold, I'm jumping to you. Um, we can have a few people jumping in, but I'm just choosing people to get started.
2: I think one of the things that it does in Scotland is it marks a really significant Divide between primary and secondary school. Uh, my most recent experience in Scotland has been uh, 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 doing part of a PGD at Dundee oh. in primary education. And their curriculum for excellence is 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 really the centre of, of what the primary school is doing. Quite obviously, as soon as you go into secondary school, everyone starts to focus. They've got this focus on the exams. And actually, that's meant the curriculum for excellence is is used every day by primary school teachers across Scotland and as soon as you move into secondary school there are large numbers of secondary teachers who never really look at it at all think, think it's completely irrelevant and so there's this fundamental lack of joined up thinking mm-hmm. um, uh, which also moves across into not having uh, and, uh, higher subjects that actually align with the with the faculties uh, quite in the in the way that curriculum for excellence might have mm-hmm. suggested suggested.
0: Fantastic. Isabel, so it's a a break on necessary reforms and important reforms like Curriculum for Excellence.
5: Well, I don't think exams uh, in and of themselves are intrinsically bad or negative or a major disadvantage, because, in fact, uh, examinations can be a very useful uh, learning tool and a a useful learning activity, particularly if they are uh, formative and diagnostic um, if I'm the class teacher and I set my um, an exam for my group and everyone in the class gets question six wrong, then I'm saying to myself, well, what was it around question six and what can I do differently? However, we're in the unfortunate position that what we're talking about tonight really is about that kind of summative assessment and it really is a all-in, all-out kind of approach and that's where it kind of falls down. So all that great work around assessment and work that teachers do in the classroom that is diagnostic and formative is all lost because it becomes purely what happens on that day at that time. And I think what we've seen in 2020, well, it wasn't news, I don't think, to many of us. It just confirmed what we knew. And there's actually inbuilt, intrinsic disadvantage in the system.
0: Mm. Fantastic. So too much summative, not enough formative, Raymond. Not enough assessment is for learning anymore.
1: I, I I think you've left me last because um, I, I I can't um, I can't misbehave, Tom, and just agree with everyone. Um, <laughs> I, I, absolutely, absolutely. And I think, but I think what's also important to to remember is that I think exams also operate as a cheap and cheerful accountability measure um, of schools and teachers. Um, that we we can yeah. we can look at results, we can grade them in, in league tables in in the media, and encourage the media to do that. Um, Simply to simply as a, as a a tool with which we can hold teachers accountable. It, it doesn't really say much about what kids can and cannot do. It doesn't provide what Isabel was talking about in, in terms of any kind of diagnostic um, mm-hmm. plan for going forward. All it does is provide mm-hmm. a measure for what happens at this moment in time. And then we can batter our, bat our teachers about the head with it.
0: Fantastic! That was a fast-paced first five minutes on one question. It's very, very question, question time here. You know, I wonder who's the the planted nutter. We'll find out later. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so the next the next point is, um, I guess it's it's very subtly different to what they do. But what are they for? So, I, I guess we were talking about. Slightly getting onto that with holding teachers accountable, do they hold young people accountable for their learning? Do they um, sort young people? Do they provide any function for society, for employers, for universities? Sometimes these are the arguments we hear. Um, James, you want to jump in there? You 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 can. Yeah, I think one of the things, one of the main things that they're forcing of the system that we have
4: just now, um, where everything must sort of um, as we saw in the summertime must sit within the curve you know is that the system is actually a big part of what this system is there to do is fail people Mm -hmm. that's the thing right a major part of this system that we have is predicated on the fact that we will set out at the start and say no matter what we are going to fail a certain number of students and i don't know about the rest of you that's not why i wanted to be a teacher and i don't actually i don't think that's a, a fair way to approach things so there's that on the one hand the other thing is that I say we tell ourselves you know this this idea that what these exams do is they show us what a student can do or maybe people have convinced themselves that they show us you know what potential a student has and maybe there are aspects of the exams that that do but once we get into this mad system that we have of how we grade it mm-hmm. all of that gets obliterated as well let's say for our you got to be an English teacher right you have to have passed higher English. Clearly, any teacher You've got to have passed higher English. So somebody gets fifty-one percent and they can go and be a teacher. Somebody gets 49% and they fail. And we're supposed to believe that actually that 2% variance is somehow some actual accurate measure of what these people can do. It's it's nonsense. But it's as Raymond says, it's convenient. We're not really prepared in this country to put the resources into education that we always, always say we are. And as a consequence, we require a system that is fairly cheap, that lets us kind of tromble along, looking like we're quite efficient and not really cause too many problems for the people in charge who, as I have made clear over the past few months, I do not think should be in charge. And so the system exists in order
0: to maintain itself in many ways as well. So the higher isn't the gold standard, it's bargain no. basement. Is that the God, case? No,
4: no. no that's <laughs> what, that's, I'll teach higher English. As my, if that's what I'm getting paid to do, I'll teach a higher English. But it's not a good course and it's not a good measure of how people mm. are able to engage with language. it
3: I just uh, feel not, that increasingly, sorry. I One
4: just minute. feel that
3: increasingly, exams are for everyone except the pupils. I just feel as if the pupils are put under so much pressure. They're, you know, they do their absolute best. Parents do their best, but I just feel as if it's 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 not for them. Um, it's for employers. It's for universities. It's for national statistics. Uh it's just it's not fair, and it really is, t- it is time it was looked at so that we can have a fair
1: system. And I I think we've got to remember that the the higher was originally only a a university entrance qualification. That's historically what it was. Um, And it's only as more and more... um, young people have have been staying on at school um through rosla in the 70s and through the and 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 through the the move towards post-16 kids staying in school that we've we've had to we've had to think what is available for them what do we have on the books for them and as a result we've and a pardon uh, please pardon the, the use of the word but we've bastardized that the, the, the course over and over again in order to accommodate that ever-rising uh, cohort instead of investigating all the other ways in which we could find sensitive ways of really um, measuring what kids can do, it, their skills across the board, whether vocational or academic or social or personal. Um, yeah, we've we just stuck this, this gold standard label on the higher and preserved it, as as James says, preserved it no matter what? Mm-hmm.
0: So it's it's a, it's a B-worded, and I think, I think that's a, a quotation from Much Ado About Nothing, Raymond, um, but uh, it's, it's a bastardised version of an ancient system, an elite system. Um, if anyone wants to speak to that, we can maybe move on to the next question. Um, no, just, which is, well, Anna, a couple, sorry, couple of
5: things I think are important in there, Tom. And what I think the current exam system does, it doesn't do the things that Raymond and all of us would like. It doesn't pick up anything to do with the social skills, the personal skills, mm-hmm. you know, those real life skills of children yeah. and young people. It's really about a way of separating the wheat from the chaff. Oh, it's yes. a simple data sorting exercise yeah. um, for next step. And for, for many young people, just because of, because of the way the system that we've allowed the system, I'm going to say devised, the way in which the system has been allowed to, you know, mm-hmm. just mutate, I think would be the right word, mm-hmm. then actually what we're doing is we're saying well, we need to keep doing it. And if you look at the statistics that the government themselves publish and look at when your young people leave school, mm-hmm. and by and large almost, you know, well over 60% of them stay on till they six, And yet we insist that they do this formal end exam in S4, then Mm -hmm. some in S5, and then some in S6. It makes absolutely no sense and is really out of step with almost all other um, education systems. Mm
0: -hmm. Harold, do you want to come in? i
2: i'm also not uh, sammy says that it's for you know uh, it's not really for pupils it's for employers and things like that i'm not really sure how much it is for employers i've worked as a uh, a resource producer in various different third sector organizations for 15 years i i've hired a lot of people i don't really look that carefully at what they get for gcses or n5s or higher and a levels yep. and very right. for most uh application processes I'm putting together my own tests, my own, uh, uh, interview questions, uh, my own assessment so that I can see what the, what the people can do quite often because the things that I'm actually looking for as a filmmaker, as a writer or as a designer, as a producer of resources haven't been measured by any of the, uh, by any of the processes. Thus far
3: anyway. Well I think you must be a great employer then Harold because that's, <laughs> that's fantastic but I know lots and lots of pupils who they maybe want to be an apprentice and they need to get you know an A or a B in um, sure. National 5 and they, these are kids who they, they would be excellent apprentices but they they struggle to get that academic grade to get them there.
4: Isn't that that's just the thing though that that's so employers are in a position where you know they need to be, say something you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's like Isabel was saying, you know, the system works in order to kind of like separate people out. Employers are in a position where if they want to offer an apprenticeship, they need some kind of way to figure it out. The only thing yeah. that we really give them to work with is these exam results. Universities, you know, this, this idea that, you know, we, we need to maintain the system so that universities can do an entry system. Well, mm-hmm. there are two ways to look at that. One of them is we could offer them something much, much better. Um, than that. The other maybe side of that is if the universities are really, really set on there being like this kind of effectively system of entrance exams, well, let them bloody well build one then. I don't, I don't, you know, at the end of the day, right, this idea that we should have the education that, that students get in in high school, in all, in all school right the way through high school, completely dominated and and tied down by the fact that we need to produce some grades at the end of it so that we can sort some kids out and put them into different channels and and then as I say you're still assuming that the information contained in those grades is actually valuable and I don't really believe that's the case at all certainly when you're at the margins it's an entire system that's all it's just a big house of cards there's no real substance to any no. of this system that we depend upon just now, but it's so, so, so important apparently that we don't rock the boat on it. That we just it's everything no. that, it's a Scottish system, it's our gold standard. We've got to be seen to be using these these wonderful, robust systems that we have and telling ourselves that's the case. It's all lies. It's a whole system. And it's weighing the baby
3: lie. as well. You can weigh the baby, it doesn't make it put on the weight. And I just think what would happen if we took exams away completely? Would would the talent that's there, would the ability that's there disappear? Is that no. is that what exams do? Do they make a ability and talent appear, mm-hmm. or would kids actually have this anyway? Um, and therefore, what are they actually there for?
4: Yeah, plus remember, if you mean, I don't know, if, I don't know if you remember if anyone's watching remembers, but like a few months ago, I did a story with uh, I think it was, it was the Times, and it was to do with the number, the the average numbers of hires people were leaving school with across the country. So the twenty percent richest areas in Scotland. Pupils are more likely from them to leave with five hires than pupils from the 20% poorest are to leave with yeah. one. So, unless somebody's going to try and convince me that kids in the richest areas and in the, in, in the sort of admittedly one of the areas that I grew up in are, are, you know, five times as good, have five times as much potential, are five times as capable of going on to uni or going on to apprenticeships, going and doing yeah. things, somebody wants to make that argument to me. I am all ears, but it's going to take a hell of an argument to convince me it's even in the ballpark of being true. So the system clearly isn't working.
0: I'm not sure I'd argue with you, James. I can can barely moderate you. (laughs) We'll we'll move move on to the next question. I think you're you're, you're dragging it in as well here. It's a really important one. It's this question of who do exam systems, especially exam systems, but I guess qualification systems in general, Mm -hmm. who do they benefit and who do they exclude? Because there is an argument that exam systems were brought in because it was no longer legitimate for father to pass on to son the privileges of, that, that they'd inherited. You know, we don't accept inheritance anymore. But actually, <laughs> when we look at the statistics, it turns out that <laughs> people tend to inherit... It, have
5: example. you went to the Cabinet?
0: <laughs> yes. And yes, if you look at the socioeconomics <laughs>
4: behind results, yeah, it's, yeah I mean, if that, if that I, was a target, I, it I hasn't happened. It. Go on, Raymond. Sorry.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I saw there was an article, I think it was in the test today, about um, the the cultural um, uh, bias in GCSE, GS, GCSE exams, the language paper, how pupils were asked to, for example, um, describe their home life, which instantly um, discriminates against kids who are in care. Um, it asked asks kids to write about um, a skiing holiday, and and obviously, I, th- I think there's an inbuilt cultural bias. In uh, in any exam when it when it's set by when it's set by middle class professionals yeah. or even people who used to be working class to become middle class professionals there's a bias in there that, that privileges one against another. I, I would like though to remind. I mean, I was involved in the previous discussion that we had in seat. I'd, I'd like to remind um, everyone about a point that yeah. Valdolievra made about. Um, the, about the exam system benefiting children uh benefiting young people um from uh black and ethnic minorities because it 's an anonymous test um, and therefore mm-hmm. any cultural bias that that might take that that might take place within a, a a system that is systemically racist um systemically discriminatory can be mediated against so i i, I think we ought to to be aware that yes. yes if we want to do away with exams there will have to be work done to to in ensure um, mm-hmm. be, to, to ensure that, that things like that don't happen that that, that we can mediate against that um, yeah. Harold would like to jump in I think
2: yeah uh, they they exclude the people uh, as one of our exam Blogs I uh, said earlier in the years, Melvin Roth, I think, um, they, they exclude, exclude the people who aren't re- who, who don't do well on the day, one mm-hmm. single day in June or, or, of a particular summer, yeah. and it's it's a bizarre thing that mm-hmm. other important exams now in life we can retake. Melvin used the example of a driving exam. Um, we want to know that people who are on our roads are uh, are capable drivers, but. Some people take quite a long time to, to get to that stage. Mm-hmm. I, I had to, you know, I had to, I do quite a lot of lessons before I got to that stage. And you, you've got the chance to retake it. Now it seems that for the core things, math, maths, um, and, and 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 literacy, those those should be a, a pass mark the way where you can say that you've passed uh, to a certain standard and that you're going to be able to go into a company you're going to be able to write an email decently you're going to be able to add up um uh, and, and make spreadsheets happen in, uh, in in a sensible way um but that i think everything else beyond that 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 should be a, an exam that you can retake uh, as many times as you want until you get to the stage where you've where you've passed that, that um a similar thing could be like with the advanced driving tests for people who want to do that and they can take them again possibly they have to retake Take them at some point. Everything else, I think, is on the table in terms of whether we actually need the exams for that. Um, because Sammy's right. As as, a, as an employer, I absolutely did use the the GCSE and university in particular to exclude people, just as a, as a simple way of of of, of, of lessening a shortlist. And that's unacceptable. We've got to move to a circumstance where we where we prize people for who they are and the different life journeys that they go through. Mm-hmm. It, so just seems the, it seems absolutely.
5: Sorry, I just think it's. It just seems to me to be beyond the the realms of understanding. Here we are in the, you know, in in twenty twenty. We are talking about artificial intelligence. You know, we can send uh, people to the moon. We're now to find water with it. We can go to Mars, and we can't find a system where we can mm-hmm. actually capture what young people mm. yeah. can do it just seems to me that in a certain kind of old adage where there's a will there's a way and it seems to mm. me what we seem to be lacking is the will, the will
2: because it, the current it,
5: yeah. system works yeah. for the status quo yeah. and uh, if we want to be the the advocates for change and, and and radical change then our voices have to be heard because the status quo is not yeah. good enough and, and in terms of the question that you asked, Tom, you know, the current system benefits the better off and it excludes anybody who is the least bit different. It excludes uh, children and young people in poorer areas and it excludes people who have, um, think about it, you think about young people we've all taught, you know, I've never been an English teacher. I've been married to one for 40 years, if that counts. But <laughs> I've, taught, uh, I've taught in schools. Yeah,
3: really? so,
5: I've, I've taught in schools, and I know I've had kids mm-hmm. in my class who are really skilled and really brilliant at mm-hmm. particular things, and the exams don't capture it. Or even if they're particularly skilled and brilliant at some skills, if you take sport or mm-hmm. um, yeah. any kind of practical subjects, mm-hmm. and then suddenly, you know, to mm-hmm. get that gold standard higher P.E., you have uh-huh. to write all the S's. What yeah. are earth for? Do yep. you, you know what that theory? seems to me Sorry. to see? That's, um, that's who they
3: exclude. Mm-hmm. Do you know who Just I think they exclude as, as well? I'm comments, if that's okay.
0: There's a bit of an echo, so apologise for that. Um, GW, I made him rewrite this because he's named the local authority previously, but he said, look at certain affluent local authorities. Um, great results and a high number <sighs> of students going to uni But the highest dropout rates at uni. They're trained to pass exams but incapable of coping when asked to think alone. Um, Can I I, I name the local authority?
4: (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) The thing is, right, we all know which local authority he's talking about, don't you? The thing is, right, the system, this education system, people have got this idea, I think the education system is separate from everything else. The education system, like every other system, works for who it works for, and that is always going to be the people in charge. So, unsurprisingly, The system works for the kids of the people who make all the choices because in Scotland the people who make all the decisions are all at the very least middle class, and the people who really, really make choices in this country are all on cushy hundred grand a year jobs. So you end up in a situation whereby, as that's what I said, what I said earlier on, the system just exists ultimately by this stage just to protect itself in many ways. And as a consequence of that, you get what we're talking about here. See, this, this, this the thing about, you know, like the, the, the exams don't um, measure things properly and isn't really working. So I teach in a college. I teach highers, national fives, etc. in a college, right? People come into my classes and our pass rates are, are over the last say, like four or five years since new results come in, our pass rates are a good chunk above the national average. And they shouldn't really be, if you think about the cohort that we have. But the thing is that realistically, if the exam system worked properly, if it actually did the things it claims to do on the tin, I would not have a job because my job wouldn't need to exist. So the very fact that people go through school and they go through maybe like six years of high school and then they leave the school without a higher English, that they it turns out that they need to go and say, go and be a teacher or something like that. And they come into my class and they come in there for a year and I'll teach them at the end of that. Pass rates are very, very good, and the vast majority of them are going to get a higher. They shouldn't need to. These are people, mm-hmm. these are kids who have been failed, students who have been failed by a system. Now, okay, you make the argument saying there should always be second chances, and there should, right? But these students shouldn't need to be going through. They shouldn't need to be spending extra years to get mm-hmm. to the same point other people are at because the system that they've been shoved through is so absolutely bloody god awful at actually measuring the things that they can do and recognizing their ability and recognizing their potential. And we just allow this to happen. Because at the end of the day, the people making the decisions on it, it's dead easy for everyone to say how much they care. And it's dead easy for everyone to say they want big radical change or they want the education to be a top priority or all that kind of stuff, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
4: I've been, this is my 10th year in education. I've seen nothing in those 10 years and nothing in the last five, and I've also been a journalist, that's actually really convinced me that any of that rhetoric's true. Not at a system level and not amongst people who are making choices. How,
2: how saying, do you think,
3: Harold? Oh,
0: how then, Sammy? Yeah. Okay.
2: Um, I think coming back right to GW's uh, original point on this about the people who have difficulties at university, one of the fundamental things there is that we're not examining we 're not examining uh, examining speaking and listening and that 's where people in a seminar situation start to crumble yeah. now, there are two, two people that this excludes firstly it excludes the people who schools uh, who curricular debating can really really benefit who are often the most Labelled as the most disruptive pupils in the class, they're the ones who are always sent out, often because they have that skill of talking back, of arguing, (laughs) and what they need is more of a structure for doing that. Um, (laughs) um, We've got got to get up for debate in Scotland again. I was at Madras College in the the 1990s. We had a great debating programme there, but it was all extracurricular. We need to bring debating into the curriculum, and I would suggest that we need to have... 50% of almost every subject uh, involving oral assessment and that 25% for me, Personally I think 25% should be uh, debating which is uh, 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 peer assessed and teacher assessed throughout the year and I, I think that would fundamentally change a huge number of things about who is seen as the most able students who, who's, uh, and, 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 and areas in which people need, need to improve and will really set people up then for, for university and, uh, and, uh, and the modern world. Sorry that's Sam. Okay. No it's okay
3: actually I agree with you Harold I think that um, if you if you ever go into a school where they've got a debating club, a public speaking, even um, the kids are far more confident, um, and they also get to see a range of different. Um, you know, when they go when they go to other schools to do their debating, they get to see another world, um, and it's a fantastic thing for working class kids to do as well. Interestingly, spoken language has been dropped. Now I know a lot of English teachers will be happy about that, um, but in the blog that I wrote for I'm Scotland, I just feel that. Um, you know, speaking and listening is just the poor relation, um, and it really is. And I think that um, when Curriculum for Excellence came out, it was all about across the curriculum, and it, you know, there's tons of subjects that you could you could actually measure speaking and listening. In. They do it very very well. Social subjects, for instance, they do it excellently there. But why isn't any of that captured? But the thing I wanted to go back to was what who you know who benefits from exams. And in my experience, um, yes, middle class kids benefit, yes, kids whose parents can afford a tutor. Um, Also, working class kids whose parents are either educated themselves or who are interested in in bettering their kids and and, and giving their kids a better life than they did. Um, That was the kind of upbringing that I had. Um, But do you know who it disadvantages, apart from poorer kids etc kids who are not well kids who are long-term sick kids who have chronic illness and can't necessarily always make it into school kids in in the care system um in my experience of teaching these are the heartbreaking stories because these are pupils who have got brains who've got really they're really clever kids and they don't get the opportunity they're left behind
4: they also then are the people who of course turn up in my college classes and do yeah, that's
3: right. How oh, you get I, and, them the following and do, year. Uh-huh. And
4: do brilliantly. But every single year that I've taught in further education, I have sat mm. in a higher class looking at a room full of people and thought, a signif- "I mean, okay, right, there's always a few who you say to them, how come you're all here? And you always get a few who go, ah, I just messed about in school, totally my mm. fault, <laughs> right? And, and fair play to them, right? I've got a lot of respect for that. Mm. But every single year I find myself sitting there looking, and thinking, a good chunk of you have just been failed. Just completely yeah. failed by the system. There are people in here who carers and all these kind of things, and we just don't really care about them. That's why. The system doesn't really care about them.
5: See, even when we look at things that we have done uh, with across edu- Scottish education that was about um, doing things better, take um, developing the young workforce, and, and then how, what did we do with it? We then introduced Foundation uh, foundation Apprenticeship Awards, and then what did we do to them? We made them equivalent to a National six. So, made them equivalent to higher, and again, slammed the door on the youngsters okay. who, mm-hmm. in actual fact, would want that. That, that mm-hmm. could have been their gateway and impression. Yeah.
4: Yeah. This, this obsession, this obsession with equivalences, yeah, it, is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's but in
5: fact, what we should have is things that are have a value and are worth because they're valuable and worthwhile yeah. for young people. But it's back yeah. to that separating out and basically. The purpose of exams is to have a set of data so you can sort it.
4: Hmm. So you can face some, some people, yeah, fail some kids, tell some kids they're absolutely brilliant because their circumstances stuck them there. <laughs>
0: so Raymond, do you want to come in quickly? And then we're actually going to move. I, I think we've got about you know a, few, I, I, a while I, left. I, actually, I but I'd like I'll, to move forward to the future. Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm hearing. I, I'm you know I'm hearing four people I completely agree with. Um, I, I I'm having. D- Questions about about the future. I'm, I'm very concerned about the future that can maybe we can raise next time. So I'll back off just now and let's move on.
0: Okay, um, we've got a few questions coming in. So so I'm thinking maybe we're moving on. So th- these are the criticisms we have of of exam systems, and I think they're they're pretty strident, and there's obviously a lot of anger. But I think this anger reflects the frustration of teachers across Scotland. Um, but there's a question here saying quickly. Sorry for blocking people's faces out with the question. It's just the way, the way it happens. Um, so Mark Carver has said, do the panel think there is any value in learning how to pass assessments? Not just performing under pressure, that's one big argument people use, um, but learning the standards and of, of quality and how to engage with feedback to meet them. So is there any value in learning how to meet a standard and how to do it under pressure, I guess? Go on, Raymond. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think so. Um, the exam system we have doesn't do that. You get an A and that's you. Um, and that A doesn't, in higher English, doesn't tell anybody what part of that course you're best at. Are you are you best at creative writing? Are you best at, at responding to literature? Are you mm-hmm. best at answering questions on a passage? Um, so it doesn't provide any feedback that, that people can then work on. Of, of course, I think absolutely, Um when we share with pupils what standards are, what criteria are that met that demonstrate success at this particular skill, then mm-hmm. and as someone earlier, I think Hadle was saying earlier, re, then revisiting that to 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 demonstrate competence in that skill. Um, that that's fine. I mean that that's pretty that, that that's pretty um, uh, standard ongoing formative assessment.
4: You know, what the most frustrating thing about it is as well is that because so so this is for this is English that we're talking about here um, mm. it, it, as specifically as possible. The really frustrating thing is that we actually do have courses that, that are much better at that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so so, I, so I, as absolutely. a teacher of ecology, yeah, I do higher and do national five and I've done national yep. fours and stuff. I also teach yep. the higher equivalent communication literature course. Yeah. And totally, and, and it does I these things. What they were People write me um, an essay and they get it back and they have to fix it. And and that's, that's how it works. I was actually, you know what I was doing today? We were talking about listening. When I was doing my classes today. I was doing teaching them, here's here's how we're doing listening, showing them how to how to summarise uh-huh. an actually useful skill. Um, yeah. Here's how to analyse the sort of spoken word, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. We actually have courses that can do this, mm-hmm. but they're not seen as this gold standard because they don't have this horrendous exam at the end. And ultimately, the reason that the communication course is not seen as being as good as mm-hmm. the higher, even though it's, it counts as an equivalent, if you want to be a teacher, you can use it. The reason it's yeah. not seen as, as good, if we're dead, dead honest, is mm-hmm. because it doesn't fail people as if, as much. Mm-hmm. It doesn't and fail other as
3: thing, many students. We have a course further down the school that does this, and it's called Broad General Education. And yes. I just always <laughs> feel really disappointed that when they get, so they get to the end of third year and we, we can do some fantastic things with them and then it's like go, oh, now you yeah. have to get ready for exams yeah. and it's just, it yeah. almost rips away everything that you've been yeah. trying to achieve over the last three years and also their time at primary school, it just beggars for me, I mean I'm I'm, I'm a, a an advocate of standard grade in the sense of if we have to have exams, let's have exams where there's a safety net for kids. Let's have an exam where there's actually a chance for kids to perform at, at the level that suits them, but also a chance for them to go for it um, and not to just be held back and see the amount of pupils if they're told they're national four, their head goes down and they're just like, oh, what's the point then? Because they know the stigma that's there.
2: Karen Porter raises a very important uh, uh, topic on the, on the chat um, about uh, particularly if uh, uh, regarding listening and talking, she was saying some people will never be confident holding forth. Uh, this is something I, th- I, th- I feel I need to pick up on. Cause I think I'm really bad actually, despite the fact that I do a lot of it at listening and talking, I don't listen nearly enough. And actually I talk far too much and I talk far too stridently a lot of the time. Now, in some ways actually i think i probably do reasonably well at at, a, at an assessment in that way but there are other people with a much a, a, a more introverted personality who mm-hmm should be assessed and able to be assessed as being excellent but in a completely different way from someone who, like me, is more strident, tends to get in there, tends to be much more combative about the way that I talk. And I think that's something that our exam system doesn't do well at the moment. I think we should have different types of assessment that people could uh, offer up. We should have for history the option of making a documentary about a topic, the option of giving a lecture about a topic, the option of writing an essay about a topic, or the option of designing a really uh, well-designed um, te- text, uh, text with graphics and, uh, and, with, and with images or a website, absolutely. Yep. And you can assess all of those for subject knowledge at the same level but you can recognise that each of those activities is in a different medium, which also has standards of excellence, but which certain pupils might want to choose. There might be a requirement that across a, a range of subjects, they actually they actually have done at least three of those or something like that. But we shouldn't expect that everyone has to do exactly the same things and be great at the same things. And I think so, thanks to Karen for raising
4: that. One of the best English students I ever had came into my class, and could sit and talk to me about literature and about language and could have sat there for hours and frankly and i and i said that i said this to them was much much better than i was at their age much better than i was at their age i walked out of school with five hires five a's because of where i grew up frankly um but this student was much better than i was at, at that age frankly was not a million miles off where i am just now in some of our understanding of things but the system that we have makes no allowance for that whatsoever, despite the fact that actually it's at least as valid to be able to discuss it as it is to be able to write, to rattle down some quotes. And in fact, it's more valid than it is to rattle down some quotes in 45 minutes. And a bit of investment, and we're simply not prepared to do it. So we'll just chuck those kids.
0: So I'm going to try and move this on. That's really, really great points from everyone. Um, I think actually Karen's point that that Harold referred to before, I'm just going to read out what she said, because I think it can move us on to thinking about the future. Um, So Karen says... um, Uh, If we are setting kids up to fail, um, especially kids who come from disadvantaged backgrounds, because we stipulate they need to be examined their speaking ability, we've just swapped one inequity for another. And I think the point is that whatever the examination system, if you set a solid standard... There will always be kids who do better at it. And the kids who come from families who have the resources to will adapt to always pass that exam, whatever the standard is. I guess the question is, can we design an exam system that would benefit different sorts of children? Um, I'm kind of thinking of this next question. Mm -hmm. Who should qualification systems benefit? I'm just thinking, for example, of that example of the GCSE um, language task that was to write about your skiing holiday. Right. Um, (laughs) Right. What if examinations were all about how to, you know, and this is horribly stereotypical, but like you know, how to feed a family of five for under fifty pounds a week, you know, um, or about those the experiences that aren't elite experiences. One of the best
3: close readings was a one was one about football. It was called resilience, I think. mm -hmm. It was a few years ago, and the the kids did really well on it. Lots of boys did really well on it, and I know there's lots about lots of research about close reading, and if you understand, um, you know, the context, you can do far yeah. better, obviously. But that there was a subject where lots lots, and lots of people could relate to, and it was one of the best papers. It was one of the ones that was done the best. So, yeah, let's have a wee bit, let's have more of an egalitarian approach to setting those papers. Maybe we need to have different people. Maybe we need to have uh, a kind of, like, I, I joked on social media recently about having a kind of elected group um, of representatives from teachers on the SQA. But maybe we should. Maybe we maybe it needs to be something that's actually happening in a you know on a regular basis, that so people aren't getting too stuck in their ways, you know.
0: But if everything I wonder if everything suddenly you know social social realism and and people doing these sorts of things you would have middle class students with tutors from from yeah. deprived areas explaining what these words yeah. mean so, and, can, can you des- can you design an exam system education system which is fair, or is this whole idea of fairness yeah. you know? I think you, can,
5: I think you can design systems that at the very least if you if you're putting this out on the public procurement thing you say in the very least you can't you know have any inequity in built mm-hmm. into the system yes. and I think that what you what we need to do is we need we need systems within that system it cannot be the same approach for every type of yes. discipline yes so the kind yeah. of things that you might want youngsters to to be able to demonstrate and I think mm-hmm. that's what we're looking for that young an exam system where young people can demonstrate what they can do, where yes. young people can demonstrate that they, they, how how they can work, their knowledge, their understanding, and their skills. Yes. And you can't do that if the same thing is going to apply to you know, the, the technology course that's going to apply to the English course that applies to a modern language. It has to be different. Yes. And it, the courses... The courses need to be different. The courses need to be far more flexible, and therefore the exam system needs flexibility within it and I think harold's description of you know that history course then all those all that media that can be used by the young person to demonstrate what they can do that's a system in a nutshell yeah
4: mm. i think you're not it's you know if the question is can you build a system that can um that, that can sort of ameliorate or obliterate um, all the kind of the stuff that sits behind it, all, all the socioeconomic stuff, then the answer is, of course you can't. And that's a ridiculous situation. I mean, there's, there's, there's no way. Um, We know that, there, that the link from socioeconomics to educational output is essentially a straight, bloody line, right? That doesn't mean that you can't make the system better, because as much as it's not the case that, you know, the... the, the so when i write articles one of the common comments that comes back to like, the government and, SQA and stuff like that is that you know the system is not what generates the attainment gap the attainment gap comes from socioeconomics etc etc now that that is true but it doesn't mean that we have to have a system that makes everything worse
5: mm-hmm. which is
4: what we have just now right I, I, nobody is like i nobody is, is ever going to convince me that you are going to for example get rid of the attainment gap without getting rid of socioeconomic gaps if you have Poverty in society you'll have people who are not doing as well in education because there are big massive things about poverty that stop you doing well right Not complicated, not hard to understand, but the system as we have it at times looks like it has been designed to magnify those yeah. effects as opposed to try and mitigate them and ways in which you could mitigate them might for example harold 's idea might include. That sort of thing. It's about options, and I am also a hundred percent convinced what Isabel's saying. This this idea that everything must have some sort of like comparable transferability, and so we're going to have to tell ourselves that a, a a b in higher music is the same as a b in higher English. I mean, give me a break. It's just, it's it's so obviously not true. And we spend so much time jumping through hoops that are designed to make it look like it is true. We know it isn't. And everybody knows that it isn't. And a wee bit of honesty about these things in the system could actually go a really, really long way on things like this. Because so much of it happens just because at the end of the day, a lot of it's and everyone's complicit in this. Everybody who teaches in the system becomes complicit in it. That ultimately, you know. There are some things that we just feel we need to do. You want an easy life, whatever it happens to be. We're all made complicit in this. We're all made to help fail a certain number of people every single year. We can't do anything about it because we can't control the system under which we operate.
0: So I don't want to interrupt anyone quickly. Really really important, James. Um, But we've got the last 10 minutes. And and I think we know what's wrong. We know what we'd rather have. Um, And I guess the question is, what is to be done? And as a profession, how would we actually enact some of this change? Can we? Because... It's very easy, and I think you were talking about this, James, just before, to fall into this trap of saying it's social economic determinism. You know, the Mm -hmm. the poor kids are always going to fail and the rich kids are always going to do well. Um, And, you know, I can imagine, you know, if you reform the system to make it so that you close that gap a little bit, you know, would the people who design these exams and the people in the leafy suburbs say, no, you're taking something away from my children, my children deserve these exam places? Yes. yes. And how would you overcome that? Yeah. It's a question. How do we get past that? How do we we achieve change in this situation? Yeah,
5: Yeah. It's political courage, isn't it? It's it's political courage, and uh, and as opposed to what uh, to what we've experienced certainly in the the last five to ten years, and that's political. You know, populism. Almost all policy is about just being popular, and uh, and that's not radical, and it doesn't change things. And uh, we could have another an entire other broadcast and talk about, you know, closing the poverty-related uh, gap because I have really strong views uh, on that too. But I think we've got the blueprint for what can be done. And, and mm. Sammy touched on it earlier. You know, we've got Curriculum for Excellence. I make no apology for being, you know, quite a groupie around Curriculum for Excellence. Mm. One of the mad earlier doctors, as we <laughs> called them then. Curriculum for Excellence should have been the answer, mm-hmm. in actual fact, because broad general mm. education, making all those links, freeing up the teacher, giving the, t- the teacher the ability to use their own flair and yeah. then, what did we do? I, I can tell you where I st- you was, you talk about where were you when Kennedy was shot, I can tell you where I was the day that Curriculum for Excellence died and it was the mm. day that Fiona Hislop who was the education secretary, she said, oh don't worry about it the exams because the higher will remain the gold standard. And that was yeah. the words out of our mouth. That was the death knell because up to that point it could have been exciting and I think those who designed it thought it was going to be exciting, but what we did was we put the old system on top yep. to maintain mm, yeah. the status
3: quo. Yeah. Yep. You, know what, you know what I think yeah. I would do?
4: P- partly because I would upset lots of people, but... um. If people are so obsessed with exams and if the system says that the curves must be maintained and distribution must be maintained, you know what, fine to hell with it. It's a terrible idea, but we are where we are. So, okay, how about what we just do is we say, see if we're saying that 30% of uh, higher English students are allowed to have an A, which is basically what we do. Fine. But let's, rather than uh, spread it the way we do, let's say that 30% of the richest 10% can have an A and 30% of the poorest 10% can have any, and everyone else can have an a Because see if all we're going to do, right? I know, but see if all we're going to do is basically decide that we need to, sort, need to sort set people out, and that we need to maintain these curves, and that's what matters is our distribution. Not kids, not the life chances, yeah. not being honest with them, not actually being proper professionals, none of that. If what actually matters is just maintaining these curves, fine, let's just maintain them, but let's do it in a different kind of way, and let's see how long it takes for middle-class Scotland to go absolutely ballistic about the fact (laughs) that grades are being dished out based on a curve, because all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. it wouldn't suit the people in charge. It wouldn't suit the richest people in Scotland. Anybody on suddenly raging? Well, too bad.
0: I was like, never mind where was Kennedy, when? where were you when Kennedy was shot? Where were you when James McKernie was shot by, you know, (laughs) someone wearing Hunter Wellies? (laughs) (laughs) I
2: I think there are two things that, that are really important. Um, one of them is that we have got to expect, we've got to come to realize and expect excellence in what our exam board provides us with. Now, just on a very basic level, if you take uh, any of the specs for uh, National 5 or higher and compare them, I'm gonna do the un- unthinkable thing, to any of the GCSE or A-level specs, you will see a huge difference. I encourage you to do it. Go to the Edexcel AQA OCR websites really detailed you can take those as i did when i was teaching in poland for uh part of a year uh, a year ago you can take them you know exactly what's going to be in the exam you know exactly what's what's going to be expected that's a basic level that's a basic level of expecting excellence We we need you know we can't expect excellence. (laughs) We can't expect excellence from the people who gave us the Scottish National Standardised Assessments in such an appalling way for primary schools. Um, with 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 just appallingly designed web web pages that didn't work well across different browsers and didn't work well across different screen sizes. That's basic level stuff. We need to expect excellence, excellence from what we get from our exam board and SQA. On that basis, is not fit fit for purpose. But what we also need to expect is that we can't move from where we are now to the kind of thing that I would really like to see in one step because it's so it's so far apart from any uh, from a system solely based on written exams solely based on something where the technology has not fundamentally changed in how we do this over a hundred years and potentially move towards a system where we actually might want to reshape things really quite fundamentally i i think we need to consider whether or not literature And functional communication, which includes filmmaking and and graphic design alongside copywriting and language, whether those can all be taught by a single English teacher, whether we need a much more... wrote a kind of base system about how we teach this this panoply of skills and whether or not all of these belong in the same examination Uh, also to take the english example we have english language and english literature as two different things english i don't like the english in english literature what about world literature should we be having language world literature and some kind of functional communications which comprises uh, graphic design uh, filmmaking uh, copywriting all these different things now that that's a fundamental reorganization that's going to need a huge investment in clpl for for classroom teachers a huge investment in research in development in actual laboratory type testing the kind that my father, late father was involved in in the 1960s 70s when they changed the way that chemistry chemistry was was examined they they did proper lab testing of whole cohorts and working out what was going to work. That's a whole completely different level to where SQA has operated at the very baseline <laughs> minimum of what a national qualifications authority really <laughs> could be expected. Of. We need to be here. Yeah,
0: um, I know. I know that Raymond wanted to come in on this. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'd I absolutely accept everything Harold's saying um my experience I know he's got a much greater experience of English system than I have um i my but my experience of how schools engage with uh, gcse um specifications is really quite negative i've, I've seen oh, people off. from the age of 13 be drilled in gcse mm-hmm. questions for for three or four years and that's as a pg PGCE examiner so you know I, I i take your point about the the specifications being much more helpful in a sense but they're but but schools also can use them very prescriptively. But I think generally-
2: I absolutely absolutely don't think, I I must be clear, I absolutely don't think that we should be following uh, England lock, sock, and barrel, but there are elements. And the precise element there is, the PDF that you can download, how useful is it to teachers, and also what other resources are supplied. Cambridge International Examinations, who provide GCACs internationally, you can't actually take them in England, um, provide a particularly wonderful suite of resources. So I think absolutely we don't want to go down a lot of the roads that England has gone down. We want to move as far away from that as possible. That's why I live in Scotland and not England. But I think we do need to take the best bits and, and, and establish an idea of what excellence looks like. Yeah.
1: Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I think in a broader sense, um, you know, again, I've, I'm in total agreement with what everyone's saying. Um, if we want to move away from, but, but I, I want to sound a note of caution that's been on my mind for an article I've written for Nate for uh, quite recently Uh and it comes back earlier to what James was saying about education existing within a complete system within a, 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 a within a society. Mm-hmm. We are in a, a post-COVID um, background, and we're also in a, a, a Brexit background. And I think both of these are going to have huge implications for what happens next. We know we know how we know how to do away with exams. We we need one. We need. A bit of two things. We need, as, as Harold was saying, really well trained teachers who know how to describe, how to measure, and how to describe what pupils do, and can access a, a, a range of rich resources in order to do that. Or we need lots of data, as Isabel was talking about earlier on. Those are the two things that that help us assess where children are. Now in the in the the Post-pandemic landscape, which of those are we going to get? The the the, the giving teachers more authority, more training, more uh, account, more mm-hmm. um, uh, ability to to do this is going to be hugely expensive, and we're going to be hit with huge austerity um, mm-hmm. packages. I think, and uh, my worry is that that we are more and more we're going to be we're going to be push down a data-led approach where Uh. we may not have exams but we will have lots and lots of internal data points probably delivered by big ed tech corporations um, that provide whole packages of learning that are then assessed at various points in the year and provide Mm -hmm. um, forward planners forward steps (laughs) for pupils project where Mm -hmm. pupils are going and you don't need teachers to do that the big edtech corporations see teachers merely as functional deliverers of content that they that they provide, and now that sounds dystopian. But we've already seen it in America. We've already um I've just written about um uh, post two thousand and eight um in Kenosha, um a a. a Drop uh, 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 basically the floor fell out their funding and so they they went down a right wing um approach where um teachers were basically basically teachers were 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 um sacked uh, and replaced by laptops um uh mm-hmm. Language teachers, a, a, a hugely social resource for the most disadvantaged in that community, were wiped out and they were stuck in front of a, a lockstep mastery approach uh, program on Rosetta Stone. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that it's unrelated that eight years after that, um, uh, wiping away of those, of, of those social and educational resources, we saw riots in Kenosha. Uh, as a result of a of, of, a, of a, a shooting of a a, a, a black man, I, I think that 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 was in the context of a, a loss of um, educational and social um, resources for the most disadvantaged of society, and given that the GTCs has just got in touch with us to warn us about the Brexit uh, internal market bill, um, I can imagine that. Um, The UK is going to be pushed into um, a system whereby we deliver those educational outcomes on the cheap. And we Mm -hmm. see educational technology as um, and we see those big educational technology providers as a a panacea for um, a a system that that obviously isn't working. And that's my big worry. And I'm sorry that that's taking it into this dystopian world.
0: And, and well, over the atmosphere, so we can we can continue um, for another ten or fifteen minutes. I promise we won't go any later please, than that. We've we got, we got some good points in the, in the feed. No, I, I completely agree, Raymond, and I think actually. Uh, covid can be a, a catalyst for many things and in many yeah. different directions and it's about taking that opportunity to drive it in what what we think of as a progressive and useful direction i'm looking at the english experience and and i'm thinking what harold's describing is is interesting i think in a way in scotland we have the worst of both worlds in that we have a very high stakes very important to people and very important to the life chances of children exams but yes, you look, you look at the SQA specifications, and I, and I disagree. They completely that they're completely divorced from um, curriculum for excellence. I think in some ways they've decided to be more like curriculum for excellence. We're going to pretend in the specification that you can do what you want, but then we, every year we're going to set an exam which is very very strict and you know um, requires very specific skills and doesn't allow you to explore things. Well, and, and just not really exemplifying either you know, without probably mm. exemplifying. No. So it's, it's, it's woolly while being high stakes. Um, and the other thing you're saying about these tendencies, Raymond, um, I think sort of, if you look at say Oak Academy in England, um, or you look even at the SNSA, this is this kind of gamified bite-sized online delivery of education, which doesn't mm. really require an expert in the classroom, or at least they think mm. it doesn't require an expert in the classroom. Yeah. Um, even for the last 10 of-
4: Right. just put you were saying by the snsas for example which of course um you know your online standardized testing system and i did quite a bit of research on that when it was coming out and quite a few of other stories but of course it was delivered by acer australian council of Educational research who i'm sure by sheer coincidence had also previously been involved in doing pizza testing the whole si- the whole system is just wildly incestuous as well and these and these organizations that this is the thing you know like the, the sorts of organizations that, that exist that, that Raymond's talking about, you know, are going to be very, very keen to present themselves as, you know, we are here to help you. They are only here for profit. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely fine. Right. If you want to live in a capitalist system, companies exist to make profit. But don't kid yourself mm-hmm. on. Don't allow yourself to be kidded on mm-hmm. that they do anything other than that. When you see McDonald's trying to you know, do, like, you know, what they say, big social justice advertising and stuff like that to support campaigns, they're doing it because they want you to go there and buy burgers, And it's exactly the same with any ed tech company, like no matter what any of them say, any of them about anything to do with social justice or wanting to help, any of that, they see young people in classrooms as a way to make money, as a way to pay shareholders, as a way to boost the bottom line. And that needs to be right at the foot, which isn't to say that you can't ever have a private company involved in education. But my point about it would always be that as we go into that kind of post-Chorogs, I think a lot of what Raymond's saying is actually right about the risks here. I think that needs to be something that's right absolutely front (laughs) and center, right? (laughs) Education tech companies are companies. They are businesses. They want money. And what they want more than anything else in the world right now, these companies, is they want public money. Because once you start getting public money, you're laughing. You'll always get it. It'll never disappear. It's literally infinite, right? So if if any of these companies are going to start getting public money for this kind of stuff, we need to be super, super careful about the road Mm -hmm. that we go down with them and do not, under any circumstances,
3: trust them, ever. The best people, sorry, Sorry. I'm just going to say, the best people to assess our children are their teachers, the people who know them, the people who work with them every day, the people who know their strengths and they know their weaknesses they're the best people to assess them not some data cruncher um
0: not a spreadsheet yeah so to bring bring in the point about teachers um there's a comment here from lottie miller and i think it's a really interesting one because it's something i hear from teachers online and and in my in my workplace as well um they talk about teachers and some teachers are furious that the national five so that's fourth year group this year aren't going to have exams and they're not getting and this is to quote the chance to show what they can do and it shows an ignorance to what education and learning should be and and i I sympathize with some teachers in a way if you've spent 20 or 30 years or five years you know in my case i'm teaching an exam to have that taken out of you taken away from you the rug taken out out from under you um Mm. is a shock. and it's seen as reliable. It's seen as taking away some of the responsibility from you. How do we convince teachers that actually giving them more power is going to be valuable for them? And and how do we convince teachers to argue and fight for actually taking power and for taking that responsibility on board, especially Does, when so many people are resistant to it? There's maybe a wee caveat to add in
5: there.
0: That's going to be a hard
4: job.
5: That's going to be a hard job to do. It's going to be a hard job to do because... Teachers have, um, for the past four or five years, you know, listened to about being empowered and all about teacher agency, and it's only been words. So the first thing we have is a problem with communication. So yes. I don't blame teachers for um, be for being sceptical about any kind of you know radical change that there would be, and I don't blame them for actually asking. The first question to ask is, what does this mean for me? And then what does this mean for? for the young people in my class. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. it will be an uphill battle, an uphill struggle, uh, mm-hmm. to talk to teachers and to get teachers uh, on side. Uh, in terms of the, the comment that, that Lottie had made, I just assumed that was a parent and not a teacher, <laughs> because I've yeah. heard that in my community more from parents than from the teachers. It's but been about, I, that's I, terrible, national five. My kid's not getting to show...
4: See, I'm not, I, I, which I, I, there are big issues with it, but I say that we caveat I think there might be is that, and there is there is definitely something in this, is that some people are looking at this and saying, but what about the young people who, and you know the ones, you've all taught them, the ones who go through the year, right? And they're cannot, or thereabouts and you're never really quite sure, and they're really not going to do very, very well. And they go into an exam and they just. Do brilliantly. Yep. And mm-hmm. that kid who was, who was really struggling all year and they walk out with a B, particularly when, you know, if we accept that teachers are, are not perfect and not flawless, mm-hmm. particularly, you know, what about the kid that feels like the reason they haven't done very well that year is because their teacher, for whatever reason, doesn't like them or their teacher maybe doesn't get them and engage them mm-hmm. the way they engage yeah. with others because there are unconscious biases. They're just there, and there's no getting away from that. And actually, it would be really, really dangerous for us to not factor that in, because that's how you start Mm -hmm. getting into things like unconscious biases about racial background and stuff, or that unconscious Mm -hmm. biases about gender, unconscious biases about you know the kids in care and all that kind of stuff. So there is there is definitely something to that, and that anxiety that exists. And I I agree with Isabel. I I tend to encounter it more Mm -hmm. amongst more amongst parents. It's something I can understand. I Mm -hmm. I can't absolutely understand Mm it. I think the system that we have doesn't actually address those things. I think what it does is it's a bit of sleight of hand to look like it's addressing those things, and we can do better for those kids. But I
2: understand the concern that would exist there. We need to... to Go on, Harold. Yeah we need to bust open what, what 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 showing what you can achieve means uh, and yeah. bust it out out from being an exam on on exam.scott we've had several people mention the open badges approach and we should be allowing people to be ce- to celebrate what they do <laughs> When it's not in an exam. And, and that could be because they've done a, an elective in Shakespeare. I'm very keen that everyone gets their Shakespeare badge, you know, can have that on their on their printout of uh, on their role of what they've achieved during secondary school. I don't really want to examine Shakespeare and I don't really want it to be to be a written exam either. I would want it to be something that they were doing actively. But similarly, they should be allowed to get a badge because they referee a football match and do it very well out of school on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning. They should be allowed to get a badge which is certified by the design technology uh, person because because with their family at home they've they've made sort of some fantastic carpentry and they should be, that should all be stuff that we can celebrate as well and extracurricular activities um it, it would be great to see a resurgence of those because they're another way that you can get for an open badges approach that we can show yes our people did this and they did this um and I, but i don't think that has to be exams examined mm-hmm. at one particular day um, in, in, in the summer of S4, S5
3: and S6. Yeah. No. No. I think okay. that in, internal motivation and external verification are really underutilised. I mean, we're talking about the idea of a lot of people might like exams because of the anonymised thing and because, you know, the prejudices. And I, I get that. I understand that. I do. But why not? Why are we not using each other? Why are we not visiting each other's schools? Um, I was part of something a wee while ago where I got a chance. Sadly, it won't happen now because of COVID, but I got a chance to visit other schools and work with principal teachers in other schools and look at different... It was brilliant. Just getting a chance to see other people's way of working, how they do it. We don't get, We never get the time. Um, and that's, that's as a principal teacher, in the, or the money, as a principal teacher, that's one of my biggest bugbears because the staff are committed the staff are absolutely willing to do things like this. We're willing to, um, you know, raise our knowledge and our expertise and our experience, but we very rarely get a chance. It's often attacked on you know, twilight session or a session during an unservice day, and then that's it. Um, there's fantastic opportunities for moderation between secondary and primary, um, but we need the time, and I think that one of the problems we've got, a bit like when we're in a classroom, we for some reason we won't accept that we need to have time for feedback often teachers rush through feedback because they're scared to say we need that time and i think it's a bit like that in learning and teaching we spend so much time with the learning and teaching we don't spend enough time preparing for it we don't spend enough time talking about assessments preparing the assessments and then actually looking at the assessments and there's to me, there's no reason why we couldn't um, have you know have meetings where people that don't know the the pupils come in and look at their work. Mm. Um, why can't we do that? Um, the system it needs to you know it's too narrow at the moment and it's too convenient for other people maybe.
0: Someone told me at one at one stage that the um, the Finnish education Union was going on strike because they were threatening to reduce their preparation time from one to one. So, you know, but but this is the situation they have where, you know, they have for every hour of teaching you do, you have an hour of preparation and correction, <laughs> which in the 35 hour 20 working week with 22.5 hours contact time doesn't happen in In education. Scotland,
4: In Scotland, we have the yeah. highest
0: contact time basically in the OECD
4: bar one or two countries because, yeah. as I say, dead, dead easy to stand up as a politician and say this is your top priority significantly harder to actually come forward and do something like address the fact contact time's far too high and the more the higher the contact time is, the poorer the quality of
2: the teaching is because ultimately, again, don't really care. Mm-hmm. We can't shy away from the fact. I, I've been unabashedly utopian, and I'm genuinely utopian in this. I, I don't. I, I don't expect any of the things that I've mentioned in this session to be possible because we're not at a level where we're spending enough, and where we're realising that education, mm-hmm. if we invest in it properly, will pay dividends over the forty or fifty years. One of the things we have learned from COVID is that actually governments can get immensely into debt very quickly, and that that can be justified in innovative ways. Um, What we need to get back to is saying we can justify a huge expenditure on employing 50 percent more teachers than we have now on giving p- teachers far more preparation time than we have on expanding universities so that departments for education are production houses for the most exciting wonderful resources um where they have time to create these in collaboration with teachers but this is utopian and we have but I, we mustn't we mustn't shy away from saying this could be done because people go, but we don't have the money to it. We have to go, wouldn't it be so amazing if we could do this? <laughs> let's make the case for doing that and let's gradually shift our society to a place where we can actually achieve th- yeah. uh, ideals that see- seem completely utopian at the moment.
4: Yeah. And actually, That's you know what, hard. Hard.
0: We, could, we could afford oh, it. There's yeah. always money for headlines. There's never money for actually good policy. Yeah. Headlines are just taking yeah. dang- But um, really quickly, right, I'm going to give everyone, have a think about that. I like Harold's challenge to be sort of unabashedly utopian. Um, We're just hitting uh, quarter two. Um, I said I wouldn't go any further than that. Um, How about we've got 30 seconds each to kind of make a final, I mean, maybe the the one thing you would change tomorrow, if you were, you know, John Swinney standing up looking a little bit terrified, um, what would you, what would you do to change, you know, the quality of your teaching or the quality of the young people in your classroom when it comes to giving them something they can leave school with and be proud of I actually really like I mean at my school everyone talks about how we used to have um, Wednesday afternoons was activities so mm-hmm. and then there's activities week every week and they used to just pack off the kids on bikes for the weekend across sky or take them kayaking somewhere and I like the idea that you come away with a badge in in kayaking, and that'd be worth something. And then you also have your badge in creative writing, and your badge in ju- journalism, and your badge in this. But then I was a scout back in the day, so so maybe that's why. <laughs> um, Raymond, what would you what would you change? Or your last kind of you know twenty seconds?
1: Oh God, I don't know. I I, uh, I just I I I think we need to remember. Um, I think we just need to get back to to loving what we teach and wanting I mean uh, Harold said a lot about uh, different ways uh, different ways of 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 testing kids and uh, he's stressed Odyssey. I think what's what's really important for me is that we don't teach kids how to write an essay about Shakespeare but we teach them to have a bloody good discussion in the theater yeah. bar after they've been to a performance of it yeah, uh, yeah. that that's that, that's what what I, I want to do and that's what I've always loved doing. On
3: mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. a drink, right? Thanks. <laughs>
4: um, yeah, I would just basically burn the uh, the annual exam cycle uh, down <laughs> to the ground, frankly, um, because it does so much damage to the kind of teaching that we want to do. It clearly just gets in the way. So the solution has to be it has to involve somehow uh, burning it and the organisations which prop it up down
0: because none of them are fit for purpose. That's James not getting a job at the SQA. Sammy? <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, in the short term, I think they would do well to not bring back National 5, now that they've uh, yeah. you know, said we are not having it. Um, and, and give, give <laughs> to quote Isabel, you know, give CFE a chance. <laughs> give mm-hmm. it a chance, yeah. give Pete a chance. Because actually, if you give pupils and teachers more time, and take the stress off them. It's amazing what they can achieve. Amazing. Yep.
2: Harold, You're turn. I would announce a Royal Commission on Education in Scotland to be established in t- t- tomorrow and to report no earlier than 2025 because Again? actually that needs to run alongside these things. <laughs> we need to, admit. And the a key thing about Royal Commissions, that they are so authoritative, they've consulted so widely, they've talked to so many people that at the end result, you can't really say no to the key proposals. And that's what every political party is shying away from. They don't want to establish consensus. We need to have a national consensus on what excellence in education is. The so.
0: national conversation. Yeah, new national conversation happened twenty years ago. Isabel, your turn.
5: Uh, if I if I could if I could rule education starting tomorrow, then I'd be looking for a dynamic system, and I'd be looking for oh, it's almost a mix of what everyone else has said. You know, there'd be no you know big bang end of year uh, exam diet. I'd be doing away with exam diets altogether, and it'd be far more fluid, dynamic system. It would be an opportunity for youngsters to To demonstrate that they know how to do but they also can demonstrate they know how to be, so it's about those skills, but about those mm-hmm. softer skills and we actually yeah. take the, the approaches that already exist, whether it's a kind of project based, the baccalaureate approaches open badges, all of them, I think all of them should be available and the teacher should be the leader in terms mm-hmm. of that learning, the teacher pulls down the most appropriate um, type of assessment for their, not only the class, but for individuals within their class. Yeah, that would be my, uh, yeah. my wish yeah, yeah. if I could run it.
0: Well, hopefully we wake up tomorrow and we're all standing in the chamber and we can make these announcements. But in the meantime, <laughs> wants that. In the, in the meantime, we'll still try to make these arguments. Um, thank you so much to uh, all of our guests for joining us. It was a, a robust conversation, I knew it would be. Sorry that it's a, a week late and it should have been. Um, if you just want to give me a wave and say goodbye, I'm going to have to let you go now, um, and I'll see you in the uh, the theatre bar.
1: <laughs> Thanks for everything, Tom. Bye uh <laughs> Apologies for that.
0: I've, I've left one person in. There we go. Sorry. And that's just me. So um, thank you so much to our audience for joining us. Um, that was a fantastic discussion. Um, again, an apologies to you as well if you were hoping to see us last week and didn't quite make it. Um, this video will be available to rewatch um, shortly after this broadcast, pretty much as soon as we've gone on YouTube and other places. Um, just quickly, um, we are running a series of events all the way through the year. and We've got a few more lined up. Um, can't quite tell you what they are yet. But please remember to subscribe, click that subscribe and like button on YouTube in order to get updates as soon as possible when we're going live and on future sessions. And um, we're also on Twitter at Feed. If you look at our late- latest tweet, we also have links to all of our participants from today. And um, this recording will also uh, be sent out as a podcast. Um, so you can listen to that again on your way to work or during one of those marathon marking sessions that I'm sure you're all doing. Um, for now, that's thank you from me, Tom Coles, your host tonight. Thank you to all the guests that joined us. Um, have a lovely evening. Uh, enjoy your job. Enjoy your teaching. And hopefully, pretty soon, we'll be able to change Scottish education.